Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast, where we break down the life, strategy, and advice of successful individuals who are students of their own game and masters of their own craft. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to the episode. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Student of the Game podcast. I'm Tim Stone with my co-hosts Nick Galbraith and Ian Cushing. And today we've got a special episode. We've got two guests. We've got Clint Turner and Kyle Bryant. So what's up, guys? Hey, glad Howdy. to be here. Howdy. I go first, Kyle. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> Good. Glad thanks for here. joining thanks. us. Um, if you could, in 60 seconds or less, each of you, tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you do, and uh, give us a quick little breakdown, and then we'll dive in. Sure. I'll go first. 60 seconds. Okay. Um, so <laughs> um, my name is Clint Turner. I've been investing in real estate for about seven years now. Graduated college in, what year is this? 22? I graduated in 2016. And I went directly into engineering sales. So I spent four and a half years in engineering school. Uh, within about four minutes, I knew it wasn't going to work out long term. So I uh, kind of turned to my entrepreneurial bug. Um, and really over the last six, seven years, I've tried a lot of different facets of real estate investing, wholesaling, and some non-real estate things that maybe are, <laughs> are a time for another podcast. But uh, uh, really where I've landed over the last four or five years, I've really focused on land investing. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about why and how later, but really it was kind of by accident. <laughs> we just like land. Uh, I've done a bunch of different kind of real estate deals and uh, land, in my opinion, is easiest and give you a bunch of money, uh, get you a bunch of chance to earn money, uh, especially at a young age like myself. So um, that's kind of my backstory. Uh, I've run a couple different land businesses now. I exited out of my first one and I now run another one with a partner. Um, and we've been scaling that business for the last two years. And yeah, it's been great. So that's where we are. Awesome. Yeah. So um, my story is a little bit different. I, I like to tell people I'm a recovering attorney. Um, I, I practiced law for about nine years. I graduated college back in 2008, uh, right before the Great Recession. And law school seemed like a way to go to delay having to not get it or not being able to get a job. Um, so I went to law school. I liked it. It was a lot of money. And then I got out and I hated it, most of it. I liked learning about the law, but actually practicing law is nothing like what goes on in school. So um, they don't tell you that because they want to they want to keep the ruse going. Um, but anyways, I got out of law school, started practicing, practiced for about nine years. Um, towards the end of it, I was doing a lot of real estate stuff like property tax litigation um, and working with some real estate investors. And so I got into apartment syndication kind of on the side. But I quickly realized that's super hard to break into to make any sort of dent in your wealth, um, just starting from zero with not a lot of connections or anything like that. Um, me and a couple of partners put our money into some syndication deals, tried to raise a little bit of money, tried to take down some larger stuff. But it just wasn't for me. Um, we couldn't really agree on a vision for where we wanted to go. Um, doesn't didn't seem like things were changing fast enough. And I really wanted to not be a lawyer anymore. So I stumbled into land. Um, and they always get you with those high percentage returns that they advertise on the late night infomercials. Um, but, you know, it, it was actually the closest thing to 
uh, truthful advertising that I've seen in those types of deals. But uh, so I got into that and it was fun. It was kind of, you know, niche like not a lot of people were doing it. I loved land in general. I thought it was really cool. Um, the idea of being able to sell something to somebody that's like a blank canvas that they can almost do whatever they want with, um, yeah. you know, make their dreams come true in a way that was a lot of fun. So kind of stuck with it and then figured I needed to actually turn it into a real business. So I left the practice of law, I think in July of 2020 and have been on my own since then. We've heard that recovering attorney line before. That's a, okay. seems, it seems, it's, to be a, uh, seems to be a common theme. Um, I, I should have trademarked it. I don't know who else is saying it, or maybe you've just heard me say it more than once. Cause I, I tell <laughs> it to people all the time. Was that, was that Jeff Holst that we heard that from Tim? Yep. Jeff Holst. Oh, you're picking it up from? Mm-hmm. He's going to get a letter from my actual attorney. <laughs> <laughs> i think he did uh bank uh bankruptcy work yeah he well, was a bankruptcy attorney and okay. then he went bankrupt and he's got a great story it was actually episode one of okay. uh, student of the game podcast once we changed the name okay very cool so um you know we're along the process did you guys kind of run into each other um so kyle you you know you came out of law school and realized that you wanted to kind of dive into land and, and clint it just kind of um, seemed like it was kind of an accident kind of running into to land investing. I mean, just kind of that real estate interest was growing. Um, and maybe Clint, you can kind of take the mic and um, kind of tell about your experience kind of focusing um, on land and kind of starting a business from there. And um, we can kind of tie it in with Kyle too and just kind of uh, tell about your growth together and what it looks like um, today. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, a lot to cover. Um, I've been doing land for pretty solidly, I call it full time. I was still working a job five years ago, but I actually tell the story like we use a lot of VAs and such in our business. And I was doing a sales job and I'd actually I was using my VAs that were working for my land business to do like 50 percent of the follow up I needed to do in my (laughs) W2 sales job. Uh, But anyway, my business has seen a lot of evolutions. I really started off kind of like Kyle said, got hit with an advertisement. It's like, what? You can buy something and make three, four hundred percent return on it in you know less than ninety days. That seems, you know, it doesn't seem true. Was it from um, the TV infomercial? Uh, infomercial? You know, I actually don't even remember exactly <laughs> how I found. It. I think I, I think I got hit with a Facebook. No, no, it was a podcast. Was I know exactly what it was. It was a podcast. Okay. It was a podcast. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was listening to somebody talk about land on a podcast. So here we go again, right? <laughs> Coming full <laughs> circle. Um, but yeah, and you know, they're talking about how you can create cash flow with land and how you can make these really, really great returns. And you know, you can mm-hmm. hype up any real estate model as much as you want, but it definitely got me hyped up, especially in the, <laughs> especially really trying to get out of my job. So, um, I jumped into it. I did my first land deal kind of fast forward. It was a deal I bought for a thousand dollars and I sold it for $1,500 down. And then I was getting a note payment of $200 a month for five years. And I did the math and I looked at everything PL down to the wire. I'm like, I got all my money back and made some money up front. And I'm getting hands free hands free cash flow for the next five years. And as somebody who's sitting in a W2 job making 65 grand a year, like that was incredible to me. Right. So I was addicted at that point. Um, my business has grown a lot since then. So, you know, I kind of started as a solopreneur doing it for a while and then kind of went to evolution two of growing a team and scaling the business from that aspect. Uh, and that's really where I met Kyle. So probably about three years ago now, almost to the day, uh, I ran a webinar on how land investors can um, market and sell their land better. Because FYI, land is filled with a lot of old goonies. <laughs> and anything about digital marketing is just like blowing their mind. 
Uh, so anyway, I ran a webinar like that a while back and uh, Kyle signed up and we worked together as clients for a while. Uh, and we still work together in, uh, uh, in my other business where we help land investors uh, grow and scale their business. So that's kind of where Kyle and I, uh, our paths crossed. And then I guess we've just been, you know, fortunately stuck together since then. Right, Kyle? Yeah, for better, for worse. Here we are. <laughs> I think it's for better, much better. Uh, I was on the cusp of quitting the land business whenever I ran to Clint, um, one of his very well-crafted um, Facebook ads got me into the top level of this funnel. And it was actually pretty good. I mean, I as soon as I started diving into land investing, you know, it got me interested just in entrepreneurship generally, which at that point, everybody who's, you know, pondered their life as an entrepreneur has probably gone down every rabbit hole of how to make money online, offline, internet marketing, like drop shipping, anything that's like, how can you make money while not having a boss? Like I got into it at some point, just researching about it or reading about it or like, oh, I think I'm going to do, you know, rank and rent model for, you know, Google SEO. And I can, you could do all this stuff and it's like awesome. And, you know, it, it, it's just, you have to go through that pipe dream phase of figuring out who you are as an entrepreneur early on. And so I was kind of doing that and I was really into like ad funnels and like marketing funnels and, mm -hmm. and thinking, man, how, I don't really know much about this, but I, fig I I feel like you need to apply this to selling land because I wasn't really selling it very well. You know, you put it up there on Facebook, you put it on Craigslist, you put it on eBay and set it and forget it. But that's not how marketing works. You kind of have to be in front of the, in front of people all the time. Um, and Clint was in front of me all the time because he was a good marketer. And so I uh, signed up for his marketing class and it worked. And then he pitched me on his, his coaching, uh, to work one-on-one -on -one with him. And I was kind of at the point where like, all right, I need to take this seriously or get out of the game. And, um, I need somebody to help me do that. And so that's when I started working with him and it worked. I got better, <laughs> a lot better. <laughs> now he doesn't have a job. So I call yeah. it a successful, <laughs> I call it a successful engagement. So you said, you said you guys have been working with each other for about two years now. Yeah. Yeah. And so is, is that specifically, so that's learn land is mm -hmm. the venture you guys are doing together. Would you guys uh, mind talking about that a little bit um, of what your vision is for learn land and what you guys are doing there? So all the listeners can hear. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, learn land is exactly how it sounds. Uh, we help people learn about land, <laughs> depending on what level you are, if you're brand new or if yeah. you're more experienced. Um, you know, I started learn land. I was, I remember it vividly. I was 22 or 23 years old. And I had paid like $10,000 for this consulting course. Um, and, <laughs> you know, a whole episode we could do about how I felt about that, especially at that time. <laughs> it's just not right to, because to, it's, it's very easy to put someone who's in that emotionally fragile state into a position where like, oh, pay $10,000, I'll change your life, right? Um, hindsight, it actually worked because <laughs> I did it and I learned the business and I took it into my own hands. But at the time, it was a significant investment, put me in a very uncomfortable position. Um, and, you know, I was trying to create a, uh, trying to create a company that didn't have to do that. Right. So uh, we have a ton of products for people that are brand new, which I would guess would be the majority of people on this uh, <laughs> listening to this podcast with land investing. <clears throat> Kyle and I get on Facebook Live about once a week and just talk about all things land as well in our free Facebook group, which I'll give you guys a link for. Y'all can post that. Um, and past that, yeah, I mean, really at Learn Land, our goal is to help land investors go from where Kyle was 
kind of in that this is interesting business model to actually how do I do this in a full-time business CEO capacity, right? And so that's the majority of our clients are kind of top level, like higher tier clients, if you will, already making good money. Um, and for folks that are brand new, like we love serving that audience too. So we have really cheap courses and free Facebook groups and all sorts of stuff you can check out there. I won't plug too much about it, but that's what we do over at LearnLand. Um, and then from our specific land investing businesses, Kyle and I do operate differently there, or we operate separately rather there. Okay. Yep. We each have, you know, it's we don't really step on each other's toes that much. I mean, there might be some friendly competition each month about who can pull in the most or do the most deals or whatever, but we, yeah, run completely separate land businesses and try to help other people who are trying to get their feet established and get their businesses up and going. And Kyle spanked me this month. He just absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> he had a great month that we did not have our best month. So, so Kyle, great. what's different about your business? Could you tell us about what you do specifically? Yeah, I mean, the nuts and bolts are the same, but, you know, strategies and tactics and tools can be a little bit different. Um, and Clint's doing a lot more advanced stuff than I am right now in some areas. Um, but, you know, just in a nutshell, what I what we do is we go out and find people who own vacant, undeveloped land who we think have a high likelihood of wanting to sell it at below market rates. And we make offers to them to buy it cash, mostly, most of the time, sight unseen um, in a short period of time. And then um, we buy it and we use skilled marketing tactics to go out and sell it to people who want that type of land for whatever purpose. So um, the value we add can be in different ways. So a lot of people um, may need out of a situation that's burdensome to them. Like if they inherited this property and they're just getting tax bill after tax bill after tax bill and they don't know what to do and they'd rather have money, then we can make that happen pretty quickly. Um, you know, if there's been a death in the family and they don't really know how to take care of that, um, if they're sort of an unsophisticated seller, I, not that, you know, they're not intelligent, but they just don't have experience with probate, with title problems, things like that. We can solve those problems and, and get the money fairly quickly. Um and then the service we provide is just making it really easy to buy land online. So, you know, Amazon Prime, you can do like two clicks and you got something at your door in two days. Like you can go on our website, you can click a button, put a down payment on a property and get the paperwork in two days. Uh, so we want to make it as easy as possible for people to buy land without the hassle of title companies, realtors, lenders, lengthy paperwork and stuff like that. And uh, when it comes to selling land constantly, you know, obviously I know there are several different ways to do that. Um, one thing I've been, I've been kind of looking at is seller financing or leasing your land. And I was wondering if y'all are more interested in like the quick sale and making that very active income or kind of stretching that out and making passive income through land. Cause that, that can also be very lucrative. Yeah. Kyle and I shade different sides on that. I love, I love financing. Like financing deals is my favorite things in the world. It all it takes is managing your money properly and buying the asset at the right price because there's this there's this market inefficiency that people just don't understand is that really any property vacant land that is that you're not going to immediately build on. So, for example, you're not going to go to the bank and get a development loan right as you're buying the property. If that if you can't check that box, you're not going to be able to get traditional financing. So there's this whole gap in the market. And I will caveat that 
high value properties in really high dense areas acquired at the right price, maybe you can, but those are few and far between. The majority of the market of parcels sub $300,000 are not, you can't get a loan against them. So you either got to be very liquid and be able to buy it or you don't really have another option, right? So that's where I think there's a ton of value you can add in the land space is, hey, look, the banks always win, right? Like we learn that over and over. And so that's my position. I love being the bank, right? Um, so I love financing for that for that aspect. And just to give an example, right? And it was very similar to that first one that I told you about, but we often buy properties around 30 to 50% of market value, right? So if you can go out and get, 20, 30, 40% of the property as a down payment, which makes it accessible to like 10 times, a hundred times more people, then you have a whole new buyer pool that nobody else is marketing to. Right. So there's, and past that, you know, if anybody listening or you guys have rentals, you have Airbnbs, you have whatever, you know, like the, the saying here is like, you don't have renters, rehabs, or refis. Like you got no, like none of the big problems <laughs> that you generally find. You don't have renters you got to keep up with. You don't got to rehab. You don't, I've, I've probably spot and sold over 600 properties now. I've stepped foot on five, maybe six of them, right? So we never see the properties. We never go to them. Um, and when you can offer financing, it's just very, I don't believe in the term passive income. It's all semi-passive <laughs> at some mm -hmm. point, but land notes truly are about as passive as it gets. Because if they don't pay, you have we sell it on land contract most of the time. It's very easy to get back without going into all the technicals. Um, and it's just set it and forget it. You turn, you set the payments on and they pay them. And every now and then you get a call 12 or 24 months later, hey, we want to pay our note off. And you get a $20,000 check in the mail, whatever it is, right? So I love the notes because mm -hmm. I like the passive. I like the long-term income play. Um so I'm probably 70, 30. I probably sell 70% of my stuff on aggressive financing terms where I would probably say Kyle is flipped. He's probably 70, 80% cash. Yeah. Yeah. Probably 70, 30, the other direction, but you know, they're nice. I have uh, probably, I think we're up to 25 notes now and it covers a lot of most of my overhead monthlies staff, stuff like that. I mean, it is a good feeling. So I sold one, I think it was last week where I paid nine grand for it and I got a $10,000 down payment and four fifty a month for five years. I mean, I'll take that. That's not a problem. Um, I don't know. do everyone <laughs> like that, but. <laughs> and so Those are cool. why is it that, that it's flipped though? Why, why have you done less of the financing? I, I work with a lot of investors. So I have outside money sources. I think you know, Clint and his partner bankroll themselves a lot. And they, they do take partners, but a lot of their stuff is, you know, from within their own bank. And when taking on investor money, it's um, it makes it just a lot more difficult to do where you're taking payments from somebody and then you're paying the investor every month. A lot of times they just want to get cashed out and keep rolling. And so we try to, in that sen uh, scenario, push the velocity of the money. So the quicker you can sell it and get that money back and then put it back in the market, you can accelerate the growth of that. Perfect. I appreciate y'all answering that because I thought that's such a cool model to think about getting a passive income from land. It's yeah. Just, it's so simple. <laughs> no got to deal with anybody. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's the most important part. No people. <laughs> Clinton, you mentioned that, that thing, how you have no tenants, you have no rehab costs, no, no refinance, anything you have to go through. And it seems like, there's not a ton that could go wrong, but what are the downsides of doing land? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, you know, the first one I'll give anybody just to be honest is 
land probably if you apply yourself you can make in my opinion if you get educated the most money in active income in real estate through learning how to flip land do land developments there's so much where you can i mean for lack of better words trade time for dollars right do deals um and it's really you can make massive returns one of the big downsides though is unlike a house i cannot depreciate a large part of that purchase mm -hmm. so a lot of what we operate in is cash transactions so you have to a be good at okay wow i made an extra two hundred thousand dollars last year like that was my second year in doing this i like didn't really feel like it i wasn't great at managing my money at that time but i had my cpa is like you made two hundred thousand dollars flipping land last year i was like wow <laughs> and then i learned what a two hundred thousand dollar tax bill looked like and then i changed <laughs> uh i changed a lot of how i take that money uh, and what i do with it so you know if you make a ton of money if you make a million dollars in land if you make a few hundred thousand it's you don't get a lot of the same benefits you do um, from rental properties or commercial properties, et cetera, where you can own the asset and depreciate it. Whenever I have a land note, I kind of just, whatever the P&L, if I'm negative on it, then I can take a little loss, but most of the time you're positive on it. So there's a lot of upside. Um, so, but on the other flip side, right, you can look at everything as a win. I've learned a lot about tax planning and tax strategy over the last few years. Um, so I'd say that's one of the, you know, maybe unforeseen downsides that not many people think about. Kyle, mm -hmm. you have any? Any downsides? Yeah, I mean, with when you have people holding your notes, like for for land notes, you don't really ever know what they're gonna do on the land, and you can put all sorts of stuff in your contract, like you're not allowed to build, you're not allowed to, you know, do your own construction, because that's what people really want to do. They'll not pull construction permits. They'll, you know, cut in their own driveways, build their own homes out of rubber tires or whatever. And then they'll start cooking meth on your property. And the next thing you know, you've got state investigators out on your property saying what the heck's going on. <laughs> Stuff like that. I mean, I don't know some guy I know who was investing in land didn't do his due diligence on the people that were buying it. I guess <laughs> um, there, there are downsides. Yeah. The tax, the tax thing is one of them. Um, just things going wrong on, on your property with, with construction, with permits, you know, you have a high a higher default rate than you probably do with houses just because you're taking a larger credit risk because we don't do background checks. We don't do income checks. Most people don't. You know, as long as you've got a credit card that'll go on auto pay, we'll we'll let you pay it um, because the take taking the property back isn't as hard as it is with like a house or a primary residence. That's a little bit less. It's a little more lax on the rules just because it's not someone's primary. Um but, you know, you get a higher default rate that you got to deal with on the on the backside. Mm -hmm. um, Clint, you mentioned a, a land contract, and that's that's the first time we've heard that term on this podcast. Can you explain to the listeners what the difference between a land contract and a contract for deed is? Mm. <clears throat> Normally, yeah, I should have asked, asked the re recovering yeah. attorney for that. <laughs> I like to put those. I think they're the same, aren't they, Kyle? Or are they different? Yeah, no, they're they're, ba they're basically the same. The real difference is in the the difference between a land contract slash contract for deed and a mortgage. Um, that's where the real difference is. So, in a contract for deed, which is also known as a land contract, somebody makes payments on it, and you hold the title until they make mm -hmm. all the payments, and then you transfer the title to them. Whereas in a mortgage, you're basically giving them the deed, and in return, they're giving you a deed of trust, which is a first position lien on on the property. So in a contract for deed, you actually hold the title. It's still in your name for the entire time that they're making payments. And so it, it makes it a little bit easier that you don't have to go through the foreclosure process and the whole deed of trust thing if you need to take the property back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah, you for land, explaining that. 
Yeah, land contract's a slang term, I guess, or contract for deed. I don't know whichever one is slang. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, exactly how Kyle said. When you own, when you have a contract for deed, it's a contractual obligation, right? So they have to fulfill their contractual side. If they miss payments, if they violate the building regulations, da 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 da, they violate their contract, and therefore we just have to do whatever we have in the contract as our performance and like curing mechanisms. Like for us, it's it's on autopilot. It's like two missed payments, and then an automatic letter goes out. A second letter goes out once they're both. Um, recorded as received then that's a close like that's a repossession as far as we're concerned um but when you have a deed of trust you got two options either you have somebody who's reasonable then you say hey you know let's do a cash for keys situation where i give you a thousand bucks and you just sign the deed back over to me done that's probably 50 percent of the time and then the other 50 percent is you know you got to file paperwork and actually go oh, yeah. through the, the formal process is there a real story behind the House of Tires and the Meth Lab, or was that just sort of? <laughs> no, talking? there is. Okay, so we have to hear that then. Okay. Um, well, the I have seen people build build houses made out of old tires. Like that's a common thing out in Colorado or in the desert. People like will stack any sort of old material together and like call it a house. Or I've heard of people like just digging large holes in the ground and living in them out in the middle of nowhere. You know, because it's very rural not many people out there and so people cost just effective into cost effective it is um but the, the meth this is this is a very very bizarre story so i sold a 40 acre piece of property in the st louis valley in colorado to to a guy who said he wanted to put a solar farm on it which is a very popular thing like down there it's flat it's sunny people wanted to do solar farms um and he wanted to put some money down and start making payments on it and so we signed the contract. I talked to him and his buddy. They're all excited about it. I said, fine. I think it was, and this guy was sort of strange. He would text me like three or 4 AM. Like he's going to be the next great American novelist. He's working on this story about his love for some, you know, his girlfriend. Yeah. And it's just he'd probably been awake. He'd probably been awake for three days at that point. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this guy's a little strange, but you know, I'm, I'm happy to help somebody achieve their dreams of, you know, running a solar farm. Sure. Um, well, I get a call, a, a strange phone call, probably three months later, um, from a guy saying that it was this guy's dad, and the guy had just committed suicide, um, and he had been running, he had gotten into some bad company and was running a meth lab out of an an old RV that they had put on the on the property, you know, Breaking Bad style. Yeah, I was about to and say. this guy had, yeah, and this guy had gone on a bad meth trip or something like that and ended up committing suicide, and so. He was trying to send the Colorado state investigators out to the property to go see what was going on. So he was asking me, you know, all sorts of questions about my dealings with this guy. And, and you know, I said, look, I thought they were doing a solar farm. He's like, yeah, that's what he told the family. You know, I'm going to catch these guys. And his buddy ended up wanting to take over the payments. Um, and it's still sort of an ongoing thing because, as you can imagine, his you know, former method buddies aren't the most reliable payers of their note payments. So um, that's one of those where I got all the money back on the down payment. You know, I think I paid 6,000 for it and he paid me 7,000 down and like 300 a month for five years. And so at this point it's like too much of a headache and not worth enough money because I've already gotten it back to like really kind of go after the situation. It's more of like a back burner thing. Um, he pays me every, every now and again, but the situation of having 
someone, you know, cooking meth on, on my property kind of made me rethink uh, the customers that I was courting to buy my properties, you know, target audience and all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, uh, Clint, could you kind of tell um, our listeners where, where you're kind of marketing to and Kyle, because um, I mean, you just moved to Franklin. I didn't know if you moved your operations to the Tennessee area, but kind of where you guys are geographically. Yep. So I have two facets of my business. One is a flipping facet where we do basically everything we've just talked about. We buy cheap and we sell on financing or we sell for cash. So you know, pretty straightforward. A lot of good land stories we have in there, but um, you know, that's the more straightforward side. And then the other side of my business is focused on subdivide and value add strategies for land. So really when it comes down to adding value in the land space, there's a, I mean, there's multiple ways to do it. The main ways you're going to find is you take large acreage and you go down to smaller acreage because <clears throat> only so many people can pay a million bucks for a property, but you chop it down into 10 acre slices, right? And now maybe you can charge two or three times more per mm -hmm. acre than it was at the higher price because more people can afford it. So subdividing is a popular strategy. <clears throat> There's another one along the lines of, it's called entitlements. Um, some people may get that, some people may not. But it's basically just the process of taking a piece of land. And uh, for example, we have a piece of property I've been working on for a little while. I bought this land, this property, and it had a house on it, surprisingly, which I normally don't do, but had a house on it. <clears throat> bought this property, it's like three acres in the middle of a pretty well-known city here in Texas like right smack in the middle of it. <laughs> and so I bought this property. I was like, I think I bought it for 80 grand. And so it was like, worst case scenario, I have three acres in this high density area. I know it's worth more than that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I fixed the house up and now it rents out. And what we did is we actually took this property, which was previously zoned for multifamily, mm -hmm. but it didn't make sense for multifamily just on how the property was laid out, where it was, all that kind of stuff. So we took it to the city and we said, hey, we want this property to be uh, storage, so RV boat storage. And so with making that zone change to the property, now it's not just kind of an unusable multifamily high-density piece of land. No developers would have built on it. Uh, but now that property is actually worth significantly more because it's zoned and I can have somebody come park a trailer on it for 70 bucks a month and it's all zoned and permitted and approved. So I kind of have two... Two, two facets of the business. One's focused on flipping higher, higher dollar flips these days. Then the other one is focused on, on subdividing and value add. And we've, I focus mostly in Arizona, Colorado, and West Texas for flipping. And I stay pretty local for our value add stuff. So I live in Austin. I do stuff from Austin, Houston, Dallas areas. There's a quote that came to mind when you're talking about subdividing. And I have no idea where I heard this. I heard it way back in high school, but there's two two good ways to make money is to buy liquor by the bottle and sell it by the shot, land by the acre and sell it by the lot. <laughs> yeah, wow. I have, I have no idea where I heard that, one. but it, it came to my mind when you were talking about subdividing. That's so a I good just one. had to share that. I never heard that, Kyle, of you. No, I haven't, but it, it it always reminds me of, you know, that quote, buy land, they're not making it anymore. Mm -hmm. But we kind of are, you know, where it's almost like blockchain where you're like, you know, you're dividing this big old block down into smaller and smaller pieces in, in some ways. And each one is uniquely valuable. And because it's a fixed supply, like as the demand for it grows, then the value of it grows if you can create more little chunks of it. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you for breaking that down, Clint. What, what about you, Kyle? Yeah, I primarily our business is just straight cash flips. Um, mm. 
you know, buy anywhere between 15 to 60,000, sell it anywhere between, you know, 30 to 150. Um, we focus on property that can either be used like to put someone's second home or to go hunting or some sort of high value recreational use. Um, we're focused, we, you know, we did our tour of Colorado, uh, and New Mexico, and we do a lot in East Texas, um, North Carolina, Alabama, sort of the Southeastern United States, except Florida. We don't do Florida. Why is that? Uh, you know, it's, um, to me, it's one of those places where you have to know it in order to win at it. Um, because it's kind of like house wholesaling, like everyone and their mother is buying and selling land in Florida. And it's the people who have established like teams on the ground, established marketing channels that, that really make money there. And people who just kind of helicopter in and blast it with offers, like they just end up losing money because they don't know what they're doing. Cause it's really like hyper local there to buy and sell stuff. Like you could make a lot of money in one block and two blocks over the dirt looks the same, but you're going to lose. So I just stay away. Yeah. And in Florida too, there's, it's not as much of a recreational state. So I would say most of our properties have a recreational aspect to it. Whereas finding a hundred acre piece of land in Florida is like, you know, few and far between. Yeah. But finding gonna, a 40 or 100 acre property in Texas is like nobody's business, right? So it's very much tied to the housing market in Florida. It's very much tied to building cost, knowing builders, knowing, oh, this block is good because it has the utilities on it, but this block isn't. And so you can make it. I know some people, we have a client that came on a couple months ago. He made a $1.2, $1.3 million just grit wholesaling land in like three counties in Florida last year. But he's out there. He knows the landscape. He knows where everything is. And when somebody gets on the phone and says, I got this lot, I'll sell it for 80. It's worth 110. Like he knows how to make those moves happen. Whereas it's just going to be harder and more difficult for someone like us who has to make seven calls to the county to figure out where this, this specific line is or this specific power line or sewer line or can I build here? Or Like a thing you'll find a lot of times is there's like endangered species habitats everywhere especially in Florida. So like there's birds, there's specific birds. And if they're on your property, you can't build on your property. I'm doing a project in Texas right now where it's in the middle of this endangered toad habitat. So you have to like take these steps to, <laughs> we, wow. we have a, we have save a hashtag, hashtag save the toads these days. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're doing. So there's stuff like that. Florida really doesn't lend itself to a recreational model, which we do a ton of and is my favorite. But for people who there's a huge, there's a whole nother segment of land investors who just do infill lots. Mm. So like an infill lot, for example, has massive demand, right? If you find a property where financially you, somebody will make money by buying it, building, and they will build an equity to it, that sells like nothing, right? So, so easy, butter smooth. You have a buyer, you find a seller, you rarely have to put money out. As you'd expect more competition, harder to find the deals, yada, yada, yada there's a lot less of that when you do recreational outskirts land. And so where me and Kyle, I guess, add a lot of our value to the market is we know how to take that land and not necessarily dress it up, but you know, land isn't that sexy overall. So <laughs> you got to dress it up a little bit and then being able to move that right. Or offer financing or whatever it is. So that's, you know, those big city areas and especially uh, areas like Florida and like Northeast type areas, you don't find many big acreage tracks. So it's kind of a different business. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, kind of just going back when you said making calls to the county, are you guys doing, um, I guess just asking, you know, if I wanted to go, you know, market land in Hamilton County, you know, never, never been to the county before, what would you advise someone to do to kind of take the first steps, you know, tools they would use and uh, um, research they would collect from the county or people to reach out to or kind of guides to that? If I phrase my question, my question right to you guys. Yeah, I would honestly, I would go and see other land for sale in that county and just kind of see what people are talking about as benefits to owning land in that area. Like if, if I know nothing, if I'm starting at baseline zero and looking at a place, I want to know like what's attracting people to buy land there. Um, so I'm looking at, you know, current listings of the land, the type of land that I probably want to buy. I'm looking at, you know, sold listings. Like you can check that on landsofamerica.com or Zillow or whatever to see what has sold and what are people marketing as the features and benefits of those types of properties? Um, because in different parts of the country, people want different things in rural land. You know, some people want no restrictions. They just want a place off grid where they can kind of set up their own prepper paradise. And so you're going to want to look for that type of thing. So you're going to want to ask the County, like, are there zoning restrictions on this type of land? Like, what am I not allowed to do with it? Do I have to have like certain approvals to put certain types of structures on there? And so you know that if you're looking for a more unrestricted place, then you're going to want to find a county that doesn't really have a strict zoning code, or maybe they don't have any zoning code at all. And it's just kind of like, as long as you're not bothering anybody, no one's going to bother you. You know, so you're going to figure out what's the intended use of this property. Like what's my ideal buyer going to use this for? And then you're going to want to start asking questions about how is that going to be possible? And is it going to be prohibitively expensive to do that? Or is it going to be a pretty easy process? Yep. And you can, <clears throat> you can already see how if you're investing in a high density where things change from street to street, you're making a lot of calls to the County. <laughs> you know, you're on the phone all day then the county will say, well, I don't have this info. You have to call this person. And then you're playing, you know, you're playing chase, you know, <laughs> you're chasing people down all day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas if you're looking at more recreational, larger acreage, traditionally you're going to see like large spans of like consistency. So like I know like in my blood right now as the market sits, what a piece of land will sell for. If it's 30 minutes from Austin, if it's 45 minutes from Austin, if it's an hour from Austin, I know the price per acre on that. Um, and it's pretty consistent. So almost any parcel that comes in, and I'll, I'll touch on this in just a second, our, our big red flags. But if it passes our big red, if it passes our big red flags and it's in a specific area, that's what, that's what we love. It's like, great, very easy to comp. We know what it's worth, right? Um, and again, that's why Florida and areas like that can be more difficult because it's very specific from location to location. But I'll take it another area. Kyle, I just want to reiterate what Kyle said because that's so, so important. If somebody's trying to get in to do a, a mailer, you're going to send text messages, or you're going to cold call or whatever you're going to do. The most important thing, in my opinion, is you got to establish demand, right? There's so many different reasons people buy land. <laughs> like we say, like, Kyle, what's our saying? Like there's like somebody will buy every parcel. <laughs> what it always say? sells. It always sells, man. It always sells. There is literally a buyer for every property. Like I've bought accidentally because I don't step on many of our properties. I've accidentally bought, was it marked on the map as like a wetland, but sure as heck, if you go out there, it is just flooded, <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, oh my God, I can't sell that. Oh, but actually somebody who hunts like waterfowl and duck, like 
that's the perfect property they were looking for. Wow. Right. Yeah. So that's why you got to like Kyle said, see what's the attraction in the area, see why people will buy there. And you got to know that. Um, but yeah, demand so, so important. You got to find, are people buying out here? Why are they buying? If you've established that and you have a deal come in, we call it the facts check F A C T S. All right. With these five things, you can generally, generally can knock out about 80 to 90% of your land deals. Okay. F for floodplain. Is it in a floodplain? Floodplains change from place to place. For example, in Arizona, like 80% of the state is in a, is, is in some specific floodplain. But obviously, like people are building in them, so it's fun. Like it, it changes, yeah. right? Whereas if you go to Florida or like this area in Louisiana that we just mailed that I will never go back to, is it's really <laughs> close. It's really close to sea level, right? So a floodplain there means way more than it does to a floodplain in Arizona. So that's why I say floodplains are very county by county, area by area. Unless you're in a what's called a restricted floodway, you're pretty much in most um, southwestern, southern states generally going to be able to do something. And again, that's calling the county. You call the planning and zoning, Google XYZ County planning and zoning, get on the phone. Hey, this property is in a hundred year flood zone. What does that mean? What does that mean with you guys? Can I build in it? What do we have to do? What are the extra requirements, et cetera? Um, so floodplain, you check that. Access. Access is huge, especially in rural land. There's legal and physical. So legal is something on a deed. Is there an easement? Is there a county road? Like, how do I get to the property, right? We probably knock out half of our properties because we send out letters. People are like, oh, yeah, I want to sell this. And it's like, oh, you want to sell your junk land that has no access. <laughs> like, of yeah. course, we're not going to buy that. So access is a big one. For me, it, this can change for everybody depending on who your buyers are, but I have to have legal access. And then depending on the physical access, I'll adjust price by, right? If I have deeded access, like an easement or something, but it's overgrown, I'm going to lower my purchase price because I've got to either sell it to somebody who will fix that or I've got to fix it myself, right? So that's floodplain and access. Comps, Kyle talked about that a second ago. Pull up your website, see what land is selling for, call brokers, that kind of stuff, right? T is for taxes. So you want to check back taxes. Uh, sometimes you'll find a property, like for example, I was just looking at a deal a couple of days ago where I was like, man, we we're buying this thing at a steal. And then I read further down on our sheet where our team takes notes. I was like, oh, we're buying it for 4000 but it has $9,000 in back taxes. So not as, not as exciting, right? So you want to look at the taxes. That can be a big thing. And also just a note on that. If taxes are piling up on a property, this isn't mm -hmm. all-inclusive, but it's a red flag. If taxes are piling up year after year after year, that means that the property goes to tax sale year after year after year, and then people buy it, and then they're like, shoot, I shouldn't have bought that because there's something wrong with it. So then it goes back to tax sale, right? So that's a red flag. It often means there's something that you don't exactly know what's going on with the property. Um, so you want to so check taxes, and then the S is for slope. You want to see how sloped the property is. Uh, if it's over 20, 25%, you're getting into like tough to build area, and then over 25 to 30 is like pretty much unbuildable unless you just got a really big budget. You can do anything with enough money. But um, if, you can uh, if you can nail those five things, generally pretty easily like that will tell you yes or no if a property is usable and then past that it's just pricing it and trying to work a deal absolutely that's that's so valuable and i, I hope our listeners take that in I, I sure took it in you saw me taking notes over here but, <laughs> yeah, um, i was taking notes too um sorry i didn't mean to cut you off guy no you you had a question ian yeah i just i i wanted to ask um, cause when y'all talk about it so naturally and like, it's just second nature, like how long is it taking y'all to get to this level of 
knowledge when it comes to all this stuff. You definitely, there's a, a series of mistakes that you have to make. Um, and that's why a lot of people start with the small dollar stuff, you know, buy for 500, sell for 2000, because a $500 mistake, you can learn a lot with a $500 mistake that would, you would learn the exact same things if you had paid, you know, $50,000 for that property. And so it's a lot easier to learn those things with playing with 500 bucks than it is with 50,000 bucks. But, you know, <clears throat> I think a good solid year of, of buying and selling land will teach you most of, of the things that you need to know and what to look out for. I mean, but at the end of the day, it's like one, land is one of those things that it's easy to learn hard to master because there's every nuance imaginable with land, you know, houses, it's, you know, you know, pretty much what to adjust for bedroom, bathroom count for, you know, zip code for age of the home, things like that. It's pretty so much data, so much data yeah. in houses. So much information for land. There are so many different variables. Um, you know, like what's the soil made of? What type of vegetation or trees? Are they mature hardwoods or are they like throwaway trees? Do you have like what type of animals are on there? Is this in an elk migration pattern? Like all those things that you don't think about normally when buying real estate, like you have to think about when buying land and each one is different for a particular region. Um, and so you kind of have to take your laps in order to understand what's important to people in those regions. But the good thing about that is I didn't know any of that when I started and I was still able to successfully buy and sell. So <laughs> you don't have to. It's a lot sure. of the things you learn along the way. Um, when it comes to just figuring out if a property is usable or not, if there's demand for it, that's a reps game, right? That's a game of reps. Like I tell my team, if we look at a thousand deals this year, we'll buy 50 to a hundred, right? So I've looked at tens of thousands of deals personally. I've, I've, I've done that five minute check on them. I've talked to the sellers. I've talked to the buyers through all that. You learn it. Um, one thing that takes a little more that I wish I had been a little more cognizant of when I started is title. So title challenges are something you run into a lot in land is, Oh, well, my grandpa gave it to me, but we didn't actually need it or, the uh, the probate never went through or there was never any of the correct affidavit filed or da, 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 right? Some of those problems can be solved with a piece of paper and a signature. Some of those problems take more time and some of them take a really long time. But there's, a, there's an even deeper niche, if you will, of area you can make money. And Kyle and I do this all the time is where you take a property that has just a minor title issue, right? So maybe it has like one that we're working on right now. We're buying this piece of land from the sellers for $19,000 and they are ecstatic about it because they haven't been able to sell this deal forever. They've had a bunch of investors look at it. Why? It's one lot behind some dude's house. Okay. But it's in a really nice area right outside of Colorado. And just nobody's taking the time to see if we could get access to that property. A single phone call and a thousand dollar check got me deeded access through somebody's property to that lot. All right. That property is going to be worth 120 grand now, right? Wow. Just based on the price of land in that area. And it's just because it, whoever wanted to buy it before, they took it to the title company. And the title company says, oh, there's no access, right? <clears throat> and people don't know. I mean, and it's, you can kind of think about that. But still, even if you just think about it, right, it's simple to talk about, hard to execute. Hey, mister, can I have an easement through your property? Why? For what? 
how does that work? How much does that cost? What's that going to look like? You know, those are things you learn as you go. Um, or little title issues where like the wrong person's on the deed or somebody's dead. In some areas, again, literally it's a piece of paper that gets filed and it fixes that. But nine out of 10 investors will run away because they don't know how to do that, right? Um, so that's why it's important to be around people that know how to do that, right? So when you have those opportunities sitting in front of you and you got a big check that you could cash and you're just going to turn away from it. I know off the bat, like I, I have a few deals that haunt me to this day that I'm like, if I had just known a little bit more back in the day, and I've even gone back and called the sellers and like, oh, we already sold it to somebody else, probably Kyle or somebody. Um, <laughs> and they, uh, <laughs> and they fixed definitely that problem and they, and they, you know, they made the money off it. So no, there's definitely things that pop up, things you learn along the way. But the great thing is, man, there's not, it's, it, it's, it's really easy to get into this space and to get experience and start learning. I still tell people like, I've had a lot of deals I've come very close. Okay, actually, I take that back. I've had some deals I've come very close to losing money on, right? Mm -hmm. But still in land, like when you do it properly, I have on a PL basis for every property, I have not lost money on a deal. Lost money on plenty of other things, but land for some reason, like I have royally, royally, royally messed up and I still came out a little bit ahead. Didn't make a ton of money but came out a little bit ahead, right? Just like Kyle's property with the meth situation he talked about earlier. <laughs> he got out of it. He made a thousand, two, three, four thousand dollars on it. He was going to make 10, 20, 30, whatever. But, you know, he bought it right. He got into the property correct to where he couldn't really lose money over the long haul. And if he just wanted to fire sell it, somebody, everyone's always looking for a deal, right? So if you buy right and you get into the properties right, it's a lot lower risk, I think. And that's what drew me towards it at first. Because like, I was a guy that had like, seven grand, four grand, two grand in my bank account, right? I'm like, how do I get into real estate? How am I going to do that? And I started buying these small, cheap properties and learning and, you know, kind of going through the reps and, you know, eventually graduate to some of the bigger stuff. But it's a really good place to get started if you're looking for a, for a real estate niche. Definitely. Great. Absolutely. So, um, so, you know, kind of starting on a blank canvas, you know, somebody wanted to, you know, start land investing. What advice would you give to that individual who's just starting, you know, tomorrow? What would, what would you say from your past experiences, you and both Kyle, um, would you advise um, that one individual to do? And that's a pretty broad question and a lot of stuff to go into that, but. <laughs> Kyle, I vote you first. Oh, Kyle, are you there? Oh, he may be frozen. He's just avoiding the question. Hold on, guys. So. Sorry, I can't. My headphones <laughs> cut out on me. My bad. <laughs> yeah, so, so, say say somebody is hearing about land investing for the first time on this podcast, <laughs> and they're like, all right, I'm going to do it. Hold on, y'all going to edit this out. Kyle's just like classic Kyle, just having technical issues. <laughs> <laughs> Can you all mute him? If you want, I can answer the question while he's working on this thing. Don't mind. Yep. Okay, he's muted. Okay. Um, ask me that question one more time. Yeah, absolutely. So somebody wanting to get started, you know, listening to this podcast right now. Somebody wants to get started. And they want to get started, you know, started land investing tomorrow. What advice would you give them, you know, off the experiences, you know, up till today, what you've learned? Yeah. I mean, consistency, man. Consistency, yeah. consistency, 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 consistency. Like I've gone through seasons in my business where I've spent tens of thousands of dollars. And to some people thinking about that, like from where you are would like bankrupt you. 
right? I've gone through seasons of where I've spent, and again, this is on a higher level or on a bigger scale, if you will, but where I've spent a lot of money and got no deals, right? And just like Kyle said, one of the main things we trained on when he came to work with me is you've got to be consistent. Like you cannot send these gurus go out there and tell you, you can send 250 letters a week or you can send 500 text messages a week or whatever. And you're going to get one deal for every 500. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Especially as real estate investing, marketing, all these tools are becoming easier to access. Barrier to entry is getting harder. Like there's no way around it, right? And so if you're not consistent, you will not find the results, right? So think about if you've sent 9,000 mailers and I'll give you a great example. Earlier this year, we sent 18,000 mailers over the course of 30 days, okay? Well, we actually sent 25,000, but the first 18,000 produced nothing, nothing. And 18,000 mailers, even at we buy at large volume, that's a six, seven, $8,000 check we wrote, you know? Yeah. And we got nada back for it. You go to literally the next thousand mailers, we pulled a deal out where we made $40,000. So that paid for the marketing, that paid for all the lost mail that didn't work. It paid for systems and everything and we even made money at the end of the day right but some people will get in and they have these small mindsets and they don't and like this is something i talk about all the time i hate when people tell you that you can get into real estate with no money right what they should say is you can work in real estate for no money okay but if you're really trying to get into real estate and do get all the results like you can't go in broke it just doesn't work right especially in land as we talk about if you want to do what i do or i sell a lot of notes you got to have the money to do it, right? You can't have a contract to buy a property, and you, right? Like maybe you can if you finagle it well, mm. but you've got to be consistent. You've got to be super, super consistent. And you've got to choose a couple areas, just like we said earlier, that prove have proven demand. You can find data that shows sales, right? You got to be able to do that. Uh, and you got to, you've just got to, got to, got to speed to lead is what I tell people. Because people, someone who's calling you, because like for, so, something we didn't talk about, we often put either a range or an actual dollar amount that we're offering when we send someone a letter, right? So they get the letter in their hand and it says, let's say land's worth $1,000 an acre in that area. My letter will say, hey, we're paying two to $400 an acre in, the, in this area. So eight out of 10 people are going to give me a cordial FU in their head and they're going to throw my letter in the trash, right? Yeah. But the other 10 or 20% are maybe going to be interested and even the smaller subset are going to be very interested. But if they're very interested, I can promise you it's not Kyle. It's not me. It's not you. <clears throat> the only person talking to them, they've got 10 or 20 other letters on their desk. So that's why in my business, the people who work on our front end acquisitions, we have a 30 minute lead hits the board 30 minutes till we're calling them maximum, right? During business hours, of course, um, maximum during that time. Right. So speed to lead is really important, staying super, super consistent and then picking areas that, you know, aren't going to put you in a bad spot. I've seen too many people just follow one guru's advice because they said it on a podcast about something about selling like this happened to me. I started selling land on terms way before I should have been like I should have been wholesaling and flipping land from the start because I did not have money. Yet a guru taught me that I should be owner financing land. Therefore, what did I do? I went out and owner finance land. Uh, and then, you know, it, 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 it put me fast forward in a bad cash spot at that. Right. So, um, it's really like picking something that works for your budget, staying super, super consistent to it. Um, and then speed to lead, man, get on the phone. A lot of people, a lot of people shy away from the phones. I don't know why that's where you make your money. 
Absolutely. And you can't let that lead resonate too long or they'll find somebody else. Nope. Or... They'll call that the other 18 letters that they got in the last two months <laughs> about that property and somebody will get it before me. <laughs> um, uh, another question I wanted to ask uh, both you and um, Kyle, if you wanted to go first, what's the greatest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months running your land business? Biggest thing is just got to be don't quit. Um, it's just easy to give up. It's easy to say, hey, man, this isn't working for me. And I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have the resources, yada, yada, yada. I mean, the list of excuses can go on and on and on. But the biggest thing is just understanding that the business model works. So if you believe in the business model, double down on it and and make it work and figure it out. And I think the biggest thing for me was just making the decision that I wasn't going to quit and understanding that, you know, at the worst case scenario, I would have to get a job. Um, you know, if everything failed, then I still had some marketable skill that somebody could pay me for. But I just made the decision that I wasn't going to quit and then just start taking steps until you can't. But you will because it's it works. Yeah. Uh, biggest lesson I have learned is that and I'm going to put this in a in a context that everyone can understand is that your goals are way too small. That's what I've learned doing this for five years, talking to people who are truly wealthy, who are truly successful, have, you know, putting yourself in that room. The goals, like I have people come to me all the time, like Kyle, me, anytime we're talking to somebody, Hey, I want you guys to help me grow your business. Okay. What's your first big goal? I want to make $10,000 a month. Right. And I'm like, that's a great goal. And to a lot of people, that may be the, but people fantasize about that number. All right. Kyle, what happens when you get to $10,000 a month in your land business? Where does all that money go? It goes to paying for stuff. <laughs> it, goes to, yeah. it goes to growing your business <laughs> right out the people, door. People have this idea that you just get to $10,000 a month or $100,000 a year. And then, oh my gosh, you're just set up and this and that. And it's like, no, if you're in this, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're real estate investing, if you're trying to grow your wealth, you are not someone that's going to get to $100,000 a year and just want to sit and drink Mai Tais. You also won't have enough money to do that. Um, but that's not going to be your personality, right? You're going to want to learn what's next. How do I go from one to five, five to a million, million to 10 million? And you've got to understand that like people who are, who are not as smart as you are able to do it, right? So why couldn't you? And it goes back to staying consistent and continuing to grow. But man, this is a long game. Mm -hmm. Like people look six months down the line and I was guilty of it. I did it for forever. How can I get out of my job? How can I hit this next income goal? How can I get this thing? And that shit never stops. <laughs> like, no, like, like, sorry for the profanity, but it just never stops. You continue if you let, if you allow yourself to have that mindset, you continually go down that rabbit hole. Whereas if you can kind of take accountability for your life and you say, this is what I want. And kind of like Kyle said, by all, like, I'm not going to quit. I am going to get to this number. I'm going to get to this lifestyle. I'm going to get to this thing happens a lot, a lot, a lot faster than you'd expect. So I think everybody's dreams are too small. And I tell them that whenever they talk to me, that's a weak dream. You need to make it bigger. It, it's very easy to underestimate how quickly you can spend $10,000 in a month, especially if you're trying to grow. Um, you know, you get to the point where you have $10,000 a month to work with. You're probably going to spend all of it on the business. At least. So, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Or we'll probably put some on the credit card as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, well, sorry. Go ahead, Ian. No, what were you going to say, Tim? I don't know. I was going to ask, what books have you either recommended or given away the most to other people? There's two books right now that I really like. Um, one, if you're a business owner, 
like you need to have some sort of system to run your business, whatever that is, choose your book. I like traction. I like traction and 12 week year, <clears throat> those books in tandem. And they have some counterparts and follow-up books that they've written to those, that series of books I give to every client that comes in where I tell them to buy it. Um, if you're in the online marketing space, there's a really good book right now called hundred million dollar offers, uh, by a guy named Alex Hermosi. Really, really good book. Recently read that, um, has a ton of marketable skills you can use online or you can use in real estate or whatever. He's great. He's, oh, he's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I love that guy. I have all those books sitting behind me right now. Yeah, Tim, <laughs> Tim just bought that book for me. What? Two days ago. Yeah. A million dollar offer. Great books. What about you? Kyle. Um, I, I see who, not how there in the background. I, mm -hmm. I really love that book that sort of transformed the way I thought about my ability to scale a business. Previously, it was, if I thought about growing my business, all I could think about was creating more work for myself and I was already overworked. And that book really sort of opened my mind to thinking about who can do these things and who can help me achieve my goals rather than like, oh my gosh, I've got so much more to do because my goals have increased more of like spreading the love of creating value um, from everybody. So that was a huge one. Um, I really also like uh, Michael Hyatt's suite of productivity books. So it's uh, Living Forward, Your Best Year Ever. I think it's called Your Best Year Ever and then Free to Focus. Um, I, you know, not everybody, everybody has their own productivity system and what they use and whatnot. I don't, you know, follow his to the T, but it was really helpful in helping me understand that a key component to achieving my goals is to actually think about them in reality as happening and then working backwards to, to manageable chunks. And that's the same thing with the 12 week, year, 12 week year. It's just identifying what you want to happen and then work backwards from there and actually make it happen because these things are possible because people do them. So you have, to, you have to realize that, that these things are actually possible because people who, yes, are less smart than I am, less smart than you are, like they make them happen and it's not luck. It's, it's something that they do. And so starting from with the end in mind and then working backwards to actionable steps, like his books really help me um, understand how to do that. And so I usually recommend those to people. There's one more book <clears throat> I've had my team or new hires read these days. So <clears throat> it's good for everybody to read. But especially if you're growing a team or trying to get your team in a mindset of why we use systems, automations, processes so much. Like, I'm not a corporate guy. I don't want anyone that works for me to feel like they're in a corporate environment. But at some level, having systems, reporting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is very important to growing a business. Um, and there's a good book called The E-Myth Revealed. It doesn't give many actionable steps. So there's another book I like. It's called Work the System by Sam, um, can't remember, see, Sam Carpenter, I think. Um, it's a really good book. It's a little more actionable version of the E-Myth. Uh, and it gets yourself or your team in a really good mindset of, this is why we document everything. This is why we have a report for this. And this is why we have a process for that. Um, that was just a new one that my team has liked a lot. So I figured I'd throw that out there. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And um, Kyle, I wanted to direct this next question to you because I was listening to your and Matt's episode before we hopped on. And uh, you guys were covering um, you know, how we think about ourselves and our surroundings. So my question would be, what advice would you give to us and our listeners on how to think about ourselves and our surroundings as we go throughout life with each other? Uh, the biggest thing is that your, your life is not an accident. Right? Like your life has meaning and purpose. And so if you kind of figure that out and figure out what your meaning and purpose is, um, 
going in trying to fulfill that becomes a little bit more real. Um, and so, you know, a, a big thing for me is just understanding like you can, you can have a purpose in life and you can actually do things to get there. Um, you're not just an, you know, an agency-less person that things happen to, right? So it's kind of like overcoming this victim mentality and not necessarily believing that you're a victim of everything, but just, you know, escaping from the thinking that life happens to you instead of going out and creating a life that you want. Um, I believe that everybody's life has some sort of inherent meaning. And so going out and living with that in mind is really helpful rather than saying, well, I'm in my life and my life just happens. And so the days are just kind of going to wash over me and whatever happens, happens. Like that's a terrible way <laughs> to live your life. Nothing's ever going to change unless you change it. Um, and so people have the ability to change their lives. I just don't think they realize enough of the power that they actually have to do something about it. So powerful. And Clint, you're more than welcome to add any um, juicy stuff to, to Kyle's. Uh, I think Kyle's mean, <laughs> so right way, well. said it way too perfectly. I want to so juicy. Out. So the, juicy. The only thing I'd say is like, as you're, especially your audience, I'm guessing shades a little towards the college side, like something I did not do until I was a little older. <laughs> I'm not even 30 yet, but I still feel old. Um, you have to understand that like you got yourself where you are now. That's like a very simple thing, simple, but not easy, right? You got yourself where you are now, what you did, what you learned, and that could be good. That could be bad. That maybe could be uh, an in, you know, like an incorrect perception on your end. Like there's a lot of things to unpack about that. But when you really internalize that, what you've done to this day, all you guys going to college, starting real estate investing, doing this podcast, working with people you're working with, that's got you where you are now, Right. People like for me, when I just graduated college and I was, I, I had to put together a personal, this is really funny. <clears throat> I had to put together a personal financial statement for a, for a loan we're trying to get for a land project. And I knew I had one somewhere, like a, an old copy of one. And so I was searching through my Google Drive the other day, or today actually. And I pulled up this one from 2017. And I was like, what is this? And I looked at it and my net worth was calculated as $9,000, <laughs> which is, is not great, right? Uh, and in that situation, like I didn't realize like before 30, I was allowed to have a multi-million dollar net worth. I didn't realize I was like, those things are things that you're allowed to have and that you take the steps to get to. Whereas often you think it's, I need to learn this next thing or I need to go to school and get this next degree. It's, it, it's always, there's some external factor. Whereas like I told you earlier in the episode, we had a client who came on, he was, he was, um, uh, you know, I won't go into all the details, but not in a great financial situation His him, his family, and he said, enough's enough. I got to get out of it. And in literally 14 months, he made $1.4 million in fees, wholesale assignment fees, changed his life, changed his family's life. He retired his parents, paid off their house, like all sorts of crazy stuff that people do. And he did that literally. He was, I think he was driving for FedEx before or doing something to that effect. And something clicked. And he said, like, I have got like this $9,000 net worth is embarrassing and it's not going to work for me. <laughs> right. And so at some point, like when you say, I am here because of things I've done. I am here because of what I've learned. What else do I need to learn? What skills, what actions do I need to take? What do I need to focus on? What do I need to read? That kind of stuff. It's the small little daily steps that get you there, right? I'm five, six years into this and I feel like, like I just got started. So it's a long way to go and it's just kind of knowing what that timeline looks like and taking accountability for doing it. Just small little action steps at a time, just little bite-sized pizzas builds up. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, any last golden nuggets before we hop out of here? Um, either um, you guys want to add either two. Buy land now, not later. <laughs> yeah, don't wait. Don't wait to get started. The longer you wait, the worse it's going to be. Yeah. There's another quote. It's um, don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Exactly. Or buy I've, it and flip it. Buy yeah. it and flip it. I have a property that I sold on a loan. I was just looking at it. Um, it was a six-year loan. Guy defaulted amicably after two years. The loan value was, I think, $20,000 when I sold it. Fast forward two years to the market today, I'm reselling that property for $45,000. Wow. So it is appreciated two times. I already made around $10,000 off of it at the property back. So it's a very prime example of something I sold two years ago. It even went up in value, right? So like you got to really like, you know, <laughs> time in the market, not time in the market, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, Clint, Kyle, thank you guys so much for taking time to... Um, hop on this podcast and just give so much value to our listeners and, and us as well. Um, and before we head off, um, would love to hear if you guys are open to it, where our listeners can reach out if they have any questions or any groups they can join um, to be uh, to get more connected with you guys and keep up to date what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. Um, if you want to learn more about land, you should jump in our free Facebook group. It's called Learn Land University. You can find it. It's free. Answer the questions you get in there. Yeah, Kyle and I and, and and a, a couple of the people that work with us, we go live in there every week, talk land, answer questions, post good stuff. Um, we do workshops and other things that come out of there as well. Um, and then past that, uh, if you really want to learn about land investing, we have uh, a course that's 147 bucks. Um, and it just really goes through every little piece of what we're talking about. Again, I paid $2,000 for this back in the day. And I was like really excited to be able to build a cool, like full scale course. Um, and offer it a really reasonable price. So we'll make sure to give you guys all those links. But yeah, worst case, you just want to learn land and hear Kyle and I goof off on the mic sometimes, like just jump on our Facebook group and you will definitely find us there. Well, perfect. That's Learn Land University on yeah. Facebook. You can watch both of them talk about real estate. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. I'm Tim Stone with Nick Galbraith and Ian Cushing signing off.